Well, good evening and Merry Christmas. I'm uh, certainly not known for my brevity, but um, I do want to uh, try to keep this brief. (laughs) Um, I want to bring you a brief Christmas exhortation. And um, Dave read uh, Luke chapter 2 going through uh, verse 21. I want to pick up in verse 22 and and go through verse 38. Um, I know it's dark. Um, If you can, you can open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Your phones might be a better option tonight. Uh, Luke chapter chapter 2, verses 22 through 38 um, this evening. And uh, of course, we, uh, we pick up after the birth the, uh, the shepherds have come. There is um, amazement on um, Mary's part. She stores up these things in her heart. And uh, eight days after his birth, they, um, they take Jesus and circumcise him according to the law. And they call his name Jesus because that was the name given to him by the angel. Uh, when he was uh, announced to Mary. But tonight, uh, finishing up verses 22 through 38, we have um, the account of Jesus being brought to the temple. And so let's look at uh, verses 22 through 38 together. The writer Luke, he writes, And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, They brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord God, for this time that we have together. Thank you for bringing us here. 
And Father, amidst all the excitement and the busyness and the anticipation of tomorrow morning and, and gifts and time with family and food, God, may we take just a, a, a short amount of time here to stop and to think upon the word and to think upon this account that Luke, inspired by your spirit, wrote down for us. God, may we consider these things and as we celebrate this, this wonderful time of the year, may our hearts be stirred anew to the, the richness of Christmas, to the importance of of what has happened. And God, I pray tonight that our hearts might be changed and transformed. I, I pray that for those who are here who have never trusted in Christ, I, I pray even tonight that your spirit might take this word and pierce through their hearts and cause them to acknowledge their sin and to see in the Lord Jesus their only hope to be reconciled with you. Father, help me, give me wisdom, and I pray that your word will have its complete effect in our lives tonight. And we pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, tonight as I, I bring again just a, a brief exhortation for you, may I encourage you from this passage that when you are celebrating Christmas tomorrow, that you also remember Easter. Without the, the resurrection, without the events at the end of Jesus' life, the beginning of his life really has no meaning. We're celebrating the birth of this, this figure in history, this, this monumental figure who, who has had massive impact for 2,000 years of, of history now. But what does it mean? What, what does the birth of Jesus mean? There, there are, are millions of people around the world who are celebrating Christmas tomorrow, and they're, they're, they might even be celebrating the birth of this figure, but, but what does it mean? And without the events of Easter, the events of Christmas are meaningless. There, there is no reason for us to celebrate. Without the cross of Christ, without the resurrection of Christ, his birth means nothing. We cannot rightly celebrate Christmas until we rightly understand and celebrate Easter. And so tonight, I want to encourage you and exhort you that as you're celebrating Christmas tomorrow, that in your heart you might also be celebrating Easter. And that's what we have in the text before us. We have two saints seeing the Lord Jesus, who is an infant, only a month old. And they are remembering Easter. They're anticipating Easter. They're anticipating what the Lord Jesus has come to do. Simeon and Anna have been waiting. There's a lot of waiting in these verses. And, and Simeon and Anna, they represent the remnant of Israel. These are the believing, the faithful Israelites who have been waiting for the Messiah. And now he's here. 
And so what we see with Simeon and Anna, we see the, the representative of, of the faithful Israelites who have been waiting, and now they see him. He's here. And in these verses, Simeon and Anna, I believe, give us four reminders of who Jesus is and why he came to dwell among us on earth. And they'll help us tomorrow, as you're celebrating Christmas, to also remember and celebrate Easter. And so as we walk through this passage, we see them coming to the temple. It's the time of purification. You can look back at Exodus 13. You can look back at Leviticus chapter 12. They are dedicating the Lord Jesus. He's the firstborn son, and so they are, they are dedicating him to, uh, to God. Also, Leviticus chapter 12, Mary is being purified. Um, this is not moral purification. This is ceremonial purification purification, and they bring a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, and this gives us insight into the financial, the, the economic situation of Mary and Joseph. This is the, the sacrifice that is prescribed for people who are too poor to bring um, a lamb. And we see in verse 25 this man named Simeon, who is described as a righteous and devout man. And the first thing that we see here in verses 20 through 2 through 26 is that the Lord Jesus Christ, he is the consolation of Israel. He's the consolation of Israel. That's, that's what Simeon is waiting for. He's a righteous and a devout man. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. Simeon's been waiting. Um, I remember uh, when I was younger waiting for Christmas. You probably can remember that too, the anticipation, the eagerness. It seemed like Christmas was never going to get here. The saints of the Old Testament have been waiting for thousands of years. We need to understand that. We need to remember that. This is not something that's been promised to them just a few years past, and, and they've been waiting patiently for this for a few years. This goes all the way back to the beginning, to Genesis 3.15, where the, the promised seed of the woman will come and crush the head of the seed of the serpent. They have been waiting, the faithful have been waiting for thousands and thousands of years. And here is Simeon. He's in this long line of the remnant who have been waiting. And he is at the temple. He is waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit reveals to him that he won't die until he sees the Lord's Christ and we can only imagine what this would mean for, for Simeon. Now, he's been eagerly waiting, and he, he, he knows the promises of God that are found throughout the Old Testament. And now the Spirit has told him, you won't die until you see the Messiah. Goodness, Christmas is coming for Simeon. Right? <laughs> Christmas is coming for Simeon. He's been waiting. But what has he been waiting for? He's been waiting for the consolation of Israel. This word that's translated here as consolation, it's the same word that's used um, in the Gospel of John for paraclete. Another comforter will come. That's what this word is. And so Simeon is, is waiting for the comfort that was promised to God's people. And we can read about this comfort in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 and 2, where the prophet Isaiah says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. 
this is what Simeon is awaiting. This is, this is what he's, he's here waiting for. He's waiting for this comfort. In other words, the end of Israel's exile, the fulfillment of all God's gracious promises to redeem Israel from all of her sins, to restore her, to bless the nations, and to ultimately bring in the new creation. That's what he's doing. He's here waiting for the consolation of Israel that encompasses all of these grand themes of the Old Testament. And here, he comes by the direction of the Holy Spirit. He comes to the temple and he sees him. He sees him. He sees the comfort, the consolation of Israel in the arms of Mary. Here is the consolation and comfort. Here is the peace of Israel that was promised in Isaiah chapter 9 unto us. A child is born unto us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. True comfort and peace come to us, not, not only through the birth of Jesus, but through his accomplished purpose, his accomplished mission, through his death. And here, Simeon waiting for so long, he sees the consolation of Israel, and so he sings. Here's Jesus. He's the consolation of Israel. But in verses 27 through 32, we see also that Jesus is the unveiling of God's salvation to the nations. He is the unveiling of God's salvation to the nations. What, what does Simeon sing? He sees Jesus. He, he takes him in his arms. Here is the consolation, the comfort, the, the fulfillment of all God's gracious promises in his hands, and he sings, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. It's a song blessing God for his grace, not only towards him personally, but also for God's faithfulness to his word. Simeon's song is full of the Old Testament. It is dripping with the Old Testament, the, the, the Old Testament prophecies about God's salvation. Simeon is holding him in his arms, this newborn. And he sings that now I can depart in peace because I've seen your salvation and, and the salvation that you have revealed to the nations. He's, he's quoting from Isaiah chapter 49, where in verses 5 and 6, the prophet Isaiah says, And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant to bring Jacob back to him and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord and my God has become my strength. This is, this is Jesus in the Old Testament saying these words. And he says, Yahweh tells me this. And he says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. 
I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. This was God's promise in the Old Testament to Jesus. You will not just bring back my people Israel. You're going to be a light to the nations. You're going to go forth to the Gentiles and the Gentiles are going to see this light. And Simeon in his song, he says, here he is. Here he is, this, this light for revelation to the Gentiles. This is the fulfillment of the promise given to Abraham that in the Messiah, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Think about what we're celebrating when we celebrate Christmas. We are celebrating the fulfillment of God's promises that stretch eons. These promises that stretch all the way back to the beginning. And these these massive promises that God gave to Abraham in your seed, in your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And here he is. A baby, unable to speak, unable to walk, unable to even keep himself alive, needing the care and nurturing of his mother and father. Here in the arms of Simeon is the salvation of the nations. He is the light of the world. And having seen him, Simeon is content to die. He's seen the salvation, and so now he is, he's ready to die. He's ready to go because he's seen the salvation. Imagine this. Imagine this. He sees in a one-month-old infant the salvation of the nations, and he says, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace. How much more have we seen? How much have you seen? He saw an infant We have seen the fulfillment and the glory of what God has done in Christ. If Simeon is content with seeing just the infant Jesus, just just knowing that God's promises are going to be fulfilled, how much more should we rejoice? I love what John Calvin says about this. He says, now, if the sight of Christ while he was yet a child had so powerful an effect on Simeon, that he approached death with cheerfulness and composure. How much more abundant materials of lasting peace are now furnished to us who have the opportunity of beholding our salvation altogether completed in Christ. In a word, his absence from us in body is of such a nature that we are permitted to, to behold him sitting at the right hand of the Father, If such a sight does not bring peace to our minds and make us go cheerfully to death, we are highly ungrateful to God and hold the honor which he has bestowed upon us in little estimation. Simeon rejoiced and went to his death smiling because he'd seen the Lord's salvation. We have seen the Lord's salvation in all of its fullness and all of its glory. We have We are living on the other side of Easter. How much more should we rejoice? How much deeper should our joy be in Christmas? Because we've seen Easter. Verses 33 through 35, we see that the Lord Jesus is also a sign that will be opposed. He will be a sign that will be opposed 
you can only imagine what Mary and Joseph must be thinking during this. Simeon, he takes Jesus and he proclaims this, this song. He, he praises God for all of his faithfulness. It says his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. Mary, did you know? Yes, she knew, right? She knew that her child was the son of God, the, the king and the long-awaited Messiah. Joseph knew also, by the way. He knew that this child, this boy, would, would save his people from their sins. And yet, along with the other remnant, the other faithful Israelites, they, they didn't fully grasp what the Messiah had come to do. Not yet. And so Simeon reminds her, he, he reminds her, and he reminds you that this child, this infant, he's not just bringing the warm, fuzzy feelings. He says, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. He is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. He's a sign that will be opposed. This is, again, this is full of Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 8, verses 14 and 15. He will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. This is the fulfillment of Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth, they set themselves. And the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed or against his Messiah. Jesus is coming and he's going to expose the sins of the people. And the, the leaders, the, the people, are not going to want to accept this. Because they love darkness instead of light. And he has come as a light to expose all of this. And so when he does this, they, they oppose him. And Simeon says that a sword will pierce even through Mary's own soul. What does this mean? How, how so? I think by seeing her son hanging on a cross. He's, he here has, his, his mind's eye is set on the cross. He sees that, that this child, the Messiah, he, he is, he's come for a purpose. And his purpose is meant to expose the sins of the people. And and sinful man in rebellion against God, hating God, they're going to oppose the sign. And they're going to plot against him and they're going to unjustly condemn him to death. And they're going to nail him to a cross. And when Mary sees these things happening to her own son, a sword is going to pierce through her own soul. But this is for the goal of revealing the thoughts and intentions of many. Simeon's words at Jesus' birth are enough to make his parents marvel, but they're full of truths that look forward to the cross. Simeon is overjoyed to see this baby in his arms. He's overjoyed at, at Christmas, but seeing Christmas, he looks through Christmas and he sees Easter. 
And we need to also, we need to remember the purpose for which Jesus came. Finally, in verses 36 through 38, we see that Jesus accomplishes the redemption of Jerusalem. 22 through 35 have Simeon. He's been waiting for the consolation of Israel. He now rejoices that he can depart in peace because he's seen the salvation that that is the, the full unveiling of God's salvation to the nations. He prophesies of Jesus being a sign that will be opposed, but now we have another character, another actor come into the scene. This is the prophetess Anna. She's of the tribe of Asher. She, there is a, a little difficulty in the translation here. She either is 84 years old or she's been a widow for 84 years, in which case she could be pushing 100 years old. Either way, she is old. And it tells us here that she did not depart from the temple, but she's worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. This is her occupation. It's, it's praying. It's coming to the temple. Why? It, it doesn't say it explicitly, but she's waiting just like Simeon is. She comes to the temple night and day. Prayer and fasting are, are her employment. And she does this because she too is waiting. She too has been waiting all of her life. She's waiting, and she goes to the temple. And by God's providence, she also is present when Mary and Joseph bring Jesus. And just like Simeon, she recognizes who he is. She recognizes that he's the Messiah. So it says, coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him. Speak of who? Speak of the Lord Jesus. She's seen him and she's speaking of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. This, this passage is just full of people waiting. Simeon is waiting. Anna is waiting. And there are the remnant, the faithful of Israel, who are waiting. And she cannot contain herself. But she tells everyone who has also been waiting that she's seen him. That he's come. Here he is. Here is the redemption of Jerusalem. This, again, is filled with Old Testament reference. I want you to listen to Isaiah 62. It's 12 verses. I just want you to listen to to Isaiah 62 and what God has promised for Jerusalem. It says, For Zion's sake I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not be quiet. Until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name. The mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called my delight is in her and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. 
On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen. All the day and all the night, they shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. Doesn't that sound like Anna? Day and night she goes with prayer and fasting. Here she's prophesied about in Isaiah 62. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm. I will not again give your grain to be food for your enemies and foreigners shall not drink your wine for which you have labored. But those who garner it shall eat it and praise the Lord, and those who gather it shall drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. Go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, clear it of stones, lift up a signal over the peoples. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. And they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken. Anna sees him and she tells everyone who's waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem that he's here. And how is this accomplished? It's accomplished not simply through the birth of the Messiah, but through the suffering of the servant of the Lord. He redeems his people by dying as a sacrifice in their place. Ephesians 1, 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14, God the Father has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 and 12, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not the one made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. This is what Anna cannot stop talking about, the redemption of Jerusalem that is going to take place through the death, burial, and resurrection of this infant. This one who's entered into our world who, though eternal God, took on weakness and our flesh and he walked amongst us. He dwelt amongst us. He is the consolation, the comfort of Israel. He's the full unveiling of God's salvation for the nations he was and still is a sign that is opposed. And he's the one who accomplishes full redemption for Jerusalem through his blood. Isn't it fascinating? I, I love this story. And as I was looking at it this past week, it, it just, it was so fascinating to me. Here's Simeon and Anna, two of the most insignificant people. They recognized the Messiah when he was only an infant. They took one look at him and said, that's him. They'd been waiting. They are saturated in the Old Testament. They know what to look for. And so when they see him, they, they, it clicks. 
this is the one. Even though he was only an infant. But while these insignificant people recognized him instantly, even as an infant, the religious rulers and the priests and the scribes of Israel and the kings of the earth missed him even after seeing all of his signs and miracles. Isn't that fascinating? How many people still miss him? How many people still miss him today? I wonder if you are still failing to see exactly who Jesus is. You love Christmas and you're going to celebrate Christmas, but you're just kind of going through the motions. You know the story, you know the, the traditions, but you're still missing it. You're missing who this baby that we're celebrating Simeon and Anna, they rejoiced when they saw the Messiah as a baby. How, how much more should we rejoice now that we have the complete revelation of all that God has done for us through Christ? Jesus wasn't born so that you could have warm, fuzzy feelings while you're sipping hot cocoa and the kids are opening their stockings. Even the, the people in this world, they can... They can have the warm, fuzzy feelings as long as the baby stays in the manger. Just stay in the manger because the world doesn't have a problem with a baby being born in a manger. They don't have a problem with this sweet, innocent, safe Jesus asleep in the hay. A good moral teacher, an example that, that you can follow if you feel like it. That's safe. That's okay. And this view, it may sound nice and it may give you all the, the warm feelings of being with family and all the traditions, but, but it robs Christmas of its joy because it scraps Easter. Jesus came to die a violent death on a cross for you. He came to bear the wrath of God for all the sins that you have ever or will ever commit in your life. He was born so that he could die. But having died, he has risen, never die again. He lives, and it is because of his death and resurrection that we can have hope. It is in his death that his birth has meaning. Easter's reality is what makes Christmas beautiful. So as you celebrate his birth tomorrow, I pray that you and your family might also remember his death and his burial and his resurrection. I pray that as you open gifts, as you spend time with your loved ones, as you think about the child born to Mary, laid in a manger, that you'd remember Easter, that you'd remember the purpose for which he was born. Because it's only as we remember his purpose, his mission, that gives the true joy of Christmas. And may it give you true lasting peace. May it fill you with infinite joy. 
because salvation and redemption and reconciliation with God has come. And I pray that you all have a very Merry Christmas. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for Christmas. But God, even more than that, thank you for Easter. Thank you for sending your son to die for us. God, may we never forget the death of Christ in our place. May we never forget that our sins that were so heinous in your sight, these sins that you could not simply ignore, you couldn't simply shove them in a closet and and just forget about them, they had to be dealt with. And so in your perfect justice, you sent your perfect son to bear our sins on his shoulders on the cross. And we bear them no more. And we thank you that we are now clothed in the perfect righteousness of the Lord Jesus. God, I pray that along with Simeon and Anna and all of those who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem, our eyes will be open to see Christ this year. I pray again for those who are here who have never trusted in Christ, that God, you would be merciful to them and open their eyes to see the glories of the Lord Jesus. Help us, your people, to live in light of the finished work of Christ. And may we, along with Anna, not be silent, but may we tell all, all the people that we meet of the infinite joy that's found in Christ. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.